Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now, for a sermon from our lead pastor, Derek Ross. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Thanks to the Dallagers, and uh, we had some missionaries from our church in Seattle when I was growing up. There were missionaries there to Costa Rica, so I've been there a couple times, and I want them to call me back there. Amen. But anyway, that's a different, that's a winter joke because it's cold here, and I heard it's going to snow again this week, and um, in the first service, Pastor Josh said he doesn't receive that, but he's about to. Anyway, so it's great to see you. Welcome to those watching and worshiping online. Uh, My name is Derek. I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration. We're continuing our series, Spirit and Power. Hopefully you got uh, a calendar thing of things coming up over the next quarter or a couple months, whatever long it is. Of course, right after we printed it, Buck Hill changed our time. So now that's out of print, but we've already printed it. So we're not printing it again. Write it on your own calendar, five o'clock. We'll see you there. And uh, that's going to be great. Uh, First Kings chapter 19. If you have your Bible, you could turn there. Uh, If you're able, if you'd stand to your feet this morning as we read God's word together. Um, I had told the band to come back out on point four. Turns out I only have three points. So... uh, (laughs) I don't know, maybe they'll just get ready on number three, I guess. I don't know, we'll see. But, uh, you know, here we are. First Kings chapter 19. Of course, last week, Pastor Vicente brought a great word uh, about the spirit of Jezebel and all that. So we thank the Lord. He's a great gift to our fellowship, our faith family here, and to our Sons of God fellowship as well. And uh, today, as Pastor Josh mentioned, at the very end of the service, the first service really felt like a word from the Lord for us today was the word openness. And so I'm going to pray for that uh, as well throughout the message. Now, if I was picking, I really wish it was more of like what we used to call a hoot and holler Holy Ghost sermon. Some of you don't know what a hoot and holler service is because you're Norwegian, but um, (laughs) it's where you do more than just think it, you know, but... uh, uh, I think there's also uh, realities that solid teaching is also Holy Ghost driven. And um, that's a little bit more the style of today and understanding where we are and what we think God wants for us. So next week will be one of those, if you're like, I really wanted one of those crazy services, the next two weeks will be for you. And also today is for you as well, praise the Lord, because we need these good, this good teaching. So 1 Kings chapter 19, of course this follows chapter 18, that's how it works, 18, then 19. And we know uh, King Ahab and Jezebel, they were wicked. Elijah called down fire from heaven, killed all the prophets, and it was just a powerful time. Then we read this. The Bible says that Jezebel threatened Elijah's life, and he ran like Pastor Vicente said, a little girl. Could have been a little boy, we don't know, just ran, okay? And so then we read 1 Kings chapter 19. I should turn the page to chapter 19. And we pick it up, verse, verse number three. Pastor Vicente shared a few of these verses last week, but if you've been here for a while, you know Pastor Vicente preaching some verses is totally different than me preaching the same verses. So is here we go. Verse Kings chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under a bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. It was the original Snickers commercial. He said, Elijah, you are not yourself when you're hungry. (laughs) 
Verse six, some of you identify with that verse right there, you know? Some of you need attitude adjustment, others of you just need a pizza, praise the Lord. Verse six, he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over some hot coals and a jar of water. He ate it and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. How many people know the things that God has put in front of us is too much for us to do on our own? That's important reality. We don't want to accomplish or attempt things that we can do in our own strength and in our own power. We're asking God to to put big things in front of us, things that can only be done by his strength. So the Bible says he got up and ate and drank, and he was strengthened by the food, and then he traveled 40 days and nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. He went to a place to have an encounter with the Lord. Verse number nine, then he went into the cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here? By the way, it's an important question for all of us to ask ourselves this morning. What are you doing here? Like you could have been any number of places, but you came here today. What are you doing here? I think another thing that really the angel was, uh, that, that Elijah was being asked is what are you wanting, desiring from the Lord? Jesus would ask this, uh, to, to people when he encountered them. Do, do you even want to be made well? What is it that you are wanting? What is it that you're here for? What are you doing here, Elijah? And verse number 10, Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death by the sword. But now I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me too. Now, next week, I'm going to preach from verse number 11, but I want to set the stage for that so you don't just end with, oh, I want to die, you know, because I'm going to talk about the title for today's message is the remedy for a spiritual hangover. So I can't just leave you at verse 10. I want to die. <laughs> Be encouraged. You know, no, okay, verse 11, <laughs> verse 11, and it's really next week's message, but I encourage you with it. The Bible says that the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. That, that's what we need is an encounter with the Lord. Well, I've titled the message, the, the Remedy for a Spiritual Hangover. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've been given to gather and lift high the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. We ask, even as we felt impressed at the end of the first service, that we would be open to whatever it is that you have for us. Help us to all leave different, to be changed in your presence, to leave more like you, Lord Jesus, than when we came in. Holy Spirit, have your way in us and in this place. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. It was a number of years ago, I don't know, five or six or seven. It was sometime after I moved to Minnesota. A pastor friend of mine um, that shared with me some of this idea about the adrenaline rush of ministry. His name's Pastor John Lindell, pastors uh, James River Church in Springfield, Missouri. They've been having just such a strong outpouring and uh, creative healing miracles in their church over the last two years. And um, he was talking to me about the adrenaline rush of ministry. He said, from one a uh, senior minister uh, to a younger minister. I said, thank you, Pastor John, for thinking I'm still a younger minister because I was in my early 30s at this point. Now I'm over 40, which means I'm not a younger minister anymore, but I'm young-ish and I'm still younger than Pastor Dan, so that's young enough for me. And so I don't qualify for the 50-plus ministry like many of you and, and Jeff Dio, but <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, you know, uh, 
And he was talking to me about the adrenaline rush of ministry. I want to share some of those insights with you because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. So this isn't just like for a lead pastor that preaches on a Sunday. Uh, I'm hoping that all of us are experiencing at times the adrenaline rush that comes from partnering with God in supernatural ministry. I hope that we're all leaning in in this time and not just waiting for next Sunday, but, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, that we're asking God, would you use us at the, the grocery store? Would you use us at the gas station? Would you use us at my cubicle at work? Would you use me to be part of what you're doing? Because we cannot afford in these days to just tell somebody, wait till next Sunday and the pastor, the man of God can meet with you. No, we all need to be participants in what God is doing. But, but we really understand that, that we've overlooked, or at least I have. And so maybe many of you, you're already good at this, but, but the Sabbath has not been a strong suit of mine within the Ten Commandments. I preached on this a year ago, uh, actually one year ago, almost exactly February 27th, that the Sabbath was a benefit for us and not a burden on us. But it's one of those Ten Commandments. By the way, it's still the, the worst one of the ten for me. I'm pretty good at most of the other nine. Specifically, like, don't murder. All clear there, you know, but uh, I've thought about it, you know, but anyway, so, uh, but anyway, um, but I never really understood that rest and recovery were really necessary for, how do I want to say this, like a sustained revival. Like, like when we see 1 Kings 18, we can think, oh, that was awesome. They were on Mount Carmel and fire came from heaven and it burned up the sacrifices and they killed everybody. <laughs> it was kind of like the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter was like, Jesus, this is so awesome. Let's just stay here. Let's build a building so that we can just have spiritual goosebumps forever. And what did Jesus say? No, 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 we can't stay here. We need to take what we've received here down to the bottom of the mountain because there, there, there's a possessed, there's a boy that needs to be set free. And what we need to do is take what we experience on the mountaintop into the valley of ministry because there are people who need what we've received. Yeah. So this is the idea that we, we can't just stay in this 1 Kings 18 moment. We can't just stay on the top of the mountain. It's realistically improbable, dare I say impossible, for us to remain in a sustained state or season of revival. When you finish running a marathon, you've got to have some rest and recovery. But the truth is, I always thought, spiritually speaking, rest and recovery was for the weak. Like if you just loved God enough, you wouldn't need to slow down. But then I got a little older, got a little wiser, and some of this teaching helped me, and I was like, oh, it's not just for people that rest a day off, recovery. It, it's for people who are on fire for God too. And if we want to see this, we need to understand some of this stuff. But it's important that we understand. Well, let me ask you another, uh, say it another way. A lot of people have asked me, well, Pastor Derek, how do you have a balanced life and an effective ministry? You don't. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I'll see you next week. You know? 
No, what I mean is you can't aim for balance, but you need to understand rhythm and routine. So another way to say it is a lot of people, I've heard this concept, you know, you got to put God first and then your family and then others. Or they'll talk about joy, Jesus, others, yourself. By the way, if your theology will fit on a bumper sticker, you probably need to study a little bit more, okay? So it's like just a side note for that, you know, but but they're like, oh, you should always have God first. I'm not going to belabor that point. I will be in agreement with that. But the truth is, in one sense, it can't always be just God. Now, what do I mean? Before you send an email, some of you are already typing, pastor said it can't be just God. What I mean is sometimes it can't be just pray to God more, it's go to work. You know, one of the most spiritual things you can do is not get fired tomorrow. I'm just saying, but like, you know, emailing in, oh, I'm just, just praying longer, not going to be there. They're like, don't bother coming in again. You know what I mean? Like, that's just a reality. So it can't just be more God all the time. All right, some of you didn't like that example because you're struggling with the theology of it, but it's true. Let me give you another example. Maybe you'll like this one more. It can't just be God and then your family and then everybody else. Because the truth is, sometimes your family can't be the most important thing in the moment. For instance, tomorrow, my family will not be the most important thing in my day. Because I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to work. Now I get it. Emotionally, mentally, they remain more important. But the fact that I'm here right now means you're more important to me in this moment than my kids. And sometimes we struggle with understanding. It's just about understanding what season you're in or what the moment requires of you. It's not less spiritual to go to work instead of stay at home and pray. We need to understand those things. So there are seasons of this. And when we have a high, a supernatural ministry of supernatural ministry, we need to understand, or maybe I should say, we need to plan for downtime after it. Or what do you do when you feel the spiritual hangover? What, what do you do? Let me, let me show you according to scripture because it's not about some magazine recommendation. It's like, what are you gonna do? Because this is an important teaching as we continue to hear more people be open to revival or different t- things. As we're expecting God to do great things, we need to understand and have a plan for how are we going to remain open? How are we going to sustain what God is doing? So let me show you right here from this passage, 1 Kings 19. Number one, we need heavenly recognition. This is important. Elijah went to meet with God. Elijah had recently enjoyed a bit more than just 15 minutes of fame, right? He'd been more heralded than Michael Jordan and Tom Brady and Wayne Gretzky combined. Everyone in Israel recognized that the Lord was God and that God used Elijah in a powerful way. Now, Elijah, we, we talked about a couple weeks ago, he was uh, human, he was a man just like we are, and so he was human like we are, probably would have enjoyed being a trending topic on Twitter, the leading story on SportsCenter, and the cover illustration of the newspaper, right? Like, humans enjoy accolades. We appreciate attention. Just try to skip your spouse's next birthday, and you'll know, if you didn't already, that we enjoy, we appreciate attention. We're grateful for recognition. 
But in his book, The Life We're Looking For by Andy Crouch, and I want to say thank you to Pastor Josiah who shared this with me this week so that I didn't have to read the whole book, but he's working on his master's degree, so he read it, and that was a better for me. <laughs> uh, he, he gave this summary of this book all about recognition. Why? We're, we're understanding what Elijah had been through and what he really needed was heavenly recognition. Andy Crouch, the author, says it this way. He explains, or Josiah's um, summary is that, Recognition is the primary task of infancy and one of the core needs we have growing up. Infants seek eye contact as soon as possible. And children are in constant need of attention and recognition. You, you understand this when your kid's like, Dad, look at me. Mom, look at this. Watch this. I'm like, I'm, I'm staring right at you. I'm looking at you. <laughs> Dad, what? You know, I... You've had kids. Okay, all right. They're looking for that recognition. It's more than just wanting to show it. They're seeking recognition. Moments of recognition from parents often mark the strongest memories of someone's life. However, now iPhones get more of our attention than our children. And ironically, the key to unlocking your iPhone is often facial recognition. Think about that. We are recognized at an increasing rate by people on social media where we are safely harbored from the risk and thrill of personal interaction. While on our phone, not to people and not to God, our phone is the thing we turn our face to the most. Each generation passes on a legacy of recognition and the proper source and amount of recognition is what generations are built upon. Is it any wonder why we have such a divide amongst generations as our focus is often no longer upon one another, but on our screen in the interactions that provides? Here are a few more of the quotes from the book, but they're harder for me to read correctly. So I'm going to try better this service. I messed it up a lot, but there's like a lot of big words and I just have a BA. I don't have a master's or a doctorate, so I struggle reading their words. Okay, so says uh, the, the author, the defining superpower of the moment, social media, goes to the very core of our human design, our design for love. Social media has given almost everyone a taste of the kind of recognition and affirmation that used to be available only to movie stars and television personalities. From MySpace to Facebook to Instagram or to whatever app your teenager is now using, (laughs) these social media platforms have granted us, I love this description, low friction relationships. And we receive our highly visible cues about our status and standing with others. They give us recognition and influence from a distance instead of to know and to be known by others. The more successful we are, the more likely we are to aspire to have a house with multiple bedrooms, even for children and adolescents who need tireless attention and support. We fill those rooms with devices that provide just enough stimulation and recognition, uh, stimulation of entertainment to dull our real needs and to prevent us from seeking one another out. 
Now, of course, your own room can be a real gift, um, and the ability to be alone is part of a healthy personal life. Solitude is one of the many things that we sacrificially provide to one another. But for many people, the quiet of a room of one's own has turned into the isolation of a screen in their hand. And even when we're in the same room, we now rarely fully see or are seen by another face. So the important thing after a spiritual high point is not more recognition from other people. Have you noticed how many social media interactions, though, are seeking affirmation or recognition from other people? How many likes can my post get? How many impressions? How many views? After our experience, we then seek recognition and affirmation from places that it doesn't really matter. And the key, the remedy for spiritual hangover, the key to sustained revival, the key to a healthy being is to receive heavenly recognition. Why? Because it's in our Father's presence that we know that we're loved and accepted, not merely appreciated by our achievements. Zephaniah 3.17 said, the Lord your God is with you. I'm going to read the rest of the verse in a moment, but let me just pause there and say, that right there is all the recognition you and I need. The Lord is with us. If you got social media or you don't, he's with you. If you got straight A's on your report card or if you got needs improvement, (laughs) the Lord is with you. If you own the business or you always work for somebody else, the Lord is with you. If you're popular with other people or you're always on the outside, the Lord is with you. I wonder what our lives would look like if we focused on heavenly recognition more than earthly appreciation. Because the Lord is with you. Look at what it says. It says the mighty one will save. It's always good to be reminded we're not the mighty one. We're not the one doing the saving. (laughs) It says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. (laughs) He, he, he. In our society that is driven for acceptance through achievement, it's important to know that God already accepts us. The Lord, your God, is with you. Not because of what we can do or provide, but because of who we are his child, whom he created and whom he loves. And I think it's all the more important to remember, to remind ourselves after moments of earthly appreciation, spiritual high points, great moments that we want to tell our kids and grandkids about, to be reminded it's not about what everybody else says about us, but it's about what our heavenly father says about us. To be reminded that it wasn't really like us and God that went and did something great. It was God and us. He allowed us to be part of what he's doing in the land. It wasn't Elijah's great prayer. God moved through Elijah's prayer. We need to get back in our nation, in our church. We need to get back to finding our peace in heavenly recognition. Number two, we also need physical recuperation. 
We need physical recuperation. Adrenaline is a real thing. And perhaps many of us have failed to consider the adrenaline rush we experience while engaged in spiritual warfare. (laughs) But if you think about it, it really does make a lot of sense. I can remember uh, coming up on eight years ago when we moved here uh, to Minnesota and um, my wife and I, we talked, we were like, we know it's going to take a lot of work, at least early on. We're going to have to work extra days, extra hours, but we can do it. We're young. I was 32 years old at the time, and uh, now I'm 40, so I'm not as young anymore. Uh, but it was like, we could do it. We could work harder. We could work longer. We just know it's a season. And you know that if you move into a new house, you got to, you know, pull some weeds, you got to paint things. You got to do a little bit of extra work when you get there. And then for five and a half years, we were still doing extra work and extra days. And, and it was like build a building and, and got sued. And so it was just like a lot that we were going through. And then May 4th, coming up two years ago, we, we received news that finally, uh, previous leadership couldn't really sue us anymore. They had appealed at different levels and the state courts had said, nope, nope, nope. And, and it was like, we, we felt this sigh of relief right? Because for five and a half years, it was like, oh, somebody doesn't want me to be the pastor. And by that, I mean somebody suing, you know, like, because somebody not wanting me to be the pastor, that's not really new. I've been in ministry for a while, get in line, but not everybody sues me to not be the pastor. You know what I mean? Anyway, um, I was like, man, this is awesome. Now we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to put energy and time into that. Because I can remember, I mean, it was like nights. I'd come home, we'd get the kids dinner, we'd get them in bed, and then Dana would pull her computer out. We're going through emails and briefings and different things. It was just, it was a lot. And then it was like, this is going to be great. Now we could do something else. And it was like, I didn't want to get up out of bed. I didn't want to get out of the chair. Didn't want, I mean, I still loved the Lord. I still loved the church. I still loved you. I mean, I mean, not all of you, but a lot of you. <laughs> I'll let you guess. But you know, it just, I just felt like the wind had left my sails. And I didn't understand that, yes, it was the help of the Holy Spirit and encouragement of people, but it was like, there was a reduction of adrenaline in my body. We, we all have within us this fight or flight scenario, and, and we'll do a lot. Humans are survivors. We'll do just about anything to survive. And then when we've survived, I didn't understand or recognize or appreciate this. Ooh, I'm physically depleted. It's been half a decade where I didn't get the right amount of sleep where nutrition was lacking because fast food meals was just a way, I just needed something to eat and move on because I just was in survival mode. Side note, I didn't mention this at the first service, but I'm reminded again, like when, when uh, men and women who've been serving our country around the world and they try to re-enter society, it's like this readjustment that has to go on because it's just different. When you've been hearing gunshots and bombs every morning and night and, and all of a sudden then you back. So it, we are wise to recognize the need for adjustment after these moments. And the energy rush, or the adrenaline rush had subsided and now is faced with the reality of depleted resources. Let me give you some positive effects of adrenaline and then some, some negative effects before I give you some recommendations. And then I preach the real sermon, which is point number three. But this is all part of it because you got to understand where we are because this is important. Uh, here's some positive effects of adrenaline. It'll give you extra energy. 
like better than Red Bull or coffee. You know, you could just do things. We, we've seen this. Uh, you can have heightened awareness of surroundings. They'll say things start to slow down. You know, we can read about this with athletes, and they'll say in the moment when the game will slow down. You know, the game doesn't slow down. But in that moment of adrenaline combined with preparation, they can just see things. You can have enhanced decision-making. I've talked to medical professionals, and they're in a trauma situation. They can just make decisions in a moment. There's some of that adrenaline that is just different than when you're taking a, a test on paper. Nobody gets that kind of adrenaline, you know, when you're taking an exam. But when you're in a real life, life or death situation, you can have a diminished awareness of exhaustion and pain from adrenaline. We, we see this in sports, right? People don't understand how much they were hurt until the game ends. We see this in, in, in trauma that people have, that, that, that have been forced upon them and things that they've gone through. And it takes years, sometimes decades to look back and say, oh, I didn't even understand what happened to me. There was adrenaline in the moment that helped them push through, but it's not sustainable until you can go receive healing from those things. But there's also some negative effects of when you come down off an adrenaline high. One of them is you can feel a detachment from people. You just don't want to be around people, whether you like them or not. I remember that. And it was like, I just, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to be around anybody, even the people I like. I just don't, you know, if, it, if everybody could leave me alone, that would be my idea of a great day. Now, some of you introverts are like, welcome to my life. <laughs> But there's a difference between not wanting to be in groups of a lot of people and not wanting to be around anyone. And when you come down off of that, it's wise to understand, okay, this is what's going on. Um, you can have feelings of depression. Pastor Vicente talked a lot about this, uh, the Jezebel spirit that would bring those things in. But, you know, just understanding how we were made, because God made our bodies. This isn't like New Age description here. It's like God made us, and sometimes we feel fatigued. I remember that. I was fatigued even though I wasn't tired. If you felt that way, you might want to just think about that. And you can um, become slow or paralyzed in your decision-making. Those are negative side effects, but they're realities. And so what are we going to do? Some of you are like, okay, pastor, because I, I just want to teach you about that so you can think about it, you can understand, because you need to evaluate, evaluate in your own life, what does that look like for you, right? How do you recharge? Because the truth is we all need moments to recharge, but the point of recharging is not to stay in the battery charger forever. The point of recharging is to get reengaged in the battle. Right? So, so you need to understand that. Why? Because each of us are wired a little bit differently. You got to know what energizes you. Pastor Josh loves being around people. He's like always, oh, he's like, except for the morning. I don't think he rolls in the office that way, but he's just always like up on, want to be hanging out with people, go and everything. And, and I was like that too. And then um, now I'm not, you know, so <laughs> I don't know how else to describe that. You know, it's like, okay, it's good to see everybody. Let's all just go to our own homes and leave each other alone. You know, like that's just where I'm at. But some of you, like, you just want to be around people more. So some of you in your marriage, uh, you're going to be different. One wants to be around people and they gain energy for that. And somebody else being around people just drains them. So you need to understand how you're wired, how your spouse and your family is wired, because it's not fair to them or to you to just ignore those realities. You might need a system. We're going to hang out with people two days a week 
and you're going to get through it, and then we're not going to hang out with people. You know, whatever it is, I don't know. You need to understand and have those conversations. There's not a right way or a wrong way, but you need to understand what's your way. And if you're married, what your spouse's way is. (laughs) So one of the things that I'm doing is I'm trying to evaluate tasks that give me energy and which ones drain me. Not that I just quit doing the ones that drain me, but I put them in times where it doesn't matter if I'm drained (laughs) or it doesn't matter what's going on. So so like for me, I, I do most of my writing creative processes in the morning. After lunchtime, whether I've eaten lunch or it's a day of prayer, just afternoon, pretty much just put me in a meeting where all I have to do is point yes, no, maybe so. There's no originality for me in the afternoon, and that's why I take a lot of meetings in the afternoon. You're going to do the talking, I'm going to listen to you, and then we're going to be done. That's how the afternoons go. But I'm not going to take many meetings in the morning. That's the time that, that I hear from the Lord the best and do that right. So you just need to understand what is it. Some of you, you get energy at night. And you're weird. Okay, you and Susie, that's fine. Get energy at night. So whatever it is, you've got to know what that is and then do your best to orient your schedule around that. And so you've got to figure that out because here's one of the things that I believe. We need to give our best everywhere it's needed. So, so we need to give our best at work. And if you're not a morning person and your job starts in the morning, you know what you need to do? Go to bed earlier. Some of you are like, preach on revival. I'm helping you right now. (laughs) Go to bed earlier. Don't go to work groggy and tired and everything else. I do love the shirt, but first coffee. I do love that shirt, but I'm just saying, if that's how you are, go to bed earlier. Now, it's not just about giving your best to work. It's also giving your best to your family. So you need to understand, like our kids, there's different seasons. I remember when they were younger and now they're like in the middle, 9, 11, 13. And so I was talking with our staff this week about understanding what season your kids are in. So, so depending on when they get up or bedtime, we, we give some flexibility for some of that stuff because if kids go to bed early or take a nap, I, I, want, I think parents, when they're able, should be involved in their kids' lives. But you need to understand what that is because sometimes family is the most important thing in the moment, but sometimes work is. So you you got to get a schedule. I, I can remember a lot of times I'll take phone calls on the drive to or from work or coming from a meeting and I'm just trying to maximize time. And, and so I'm on the phone and, and, and I try to finish up a phone call before I walk in the house. This is just a practical teaching. Sometimes I have to sit in the driveway or sit in the garage and finish the phone call because when I walk in the house, our nine-year-old son is going to want to play catch. It's just how he is. Our 13-year-old daughter doesn't give a rip. She comes up for feeding and goes right back downstairs. You know, just, hi, I pay the bills. I'm your father. Welcome. You know, doesn't care. But, but our nine-year-old is like, dad, you want to play catch? Dad, you want to play? And so it's if for me to give him my best, what I need to do is not be on the phone when I walk in and go, in a minute, Lincoln, I'll be with you. And 45 minutes later, I'm finishing up. Now, the truth is, I got to admit, I don't always, I'm not the best at that. Sometimes I do that and Dana will be like, just go in your room and shut the door so they at least don't see you. But we want to do our best about giving our family our best even when we come home. If you need to get a coffee on the way home, get a coffee, show up with energy. If there's a, a way that you show up back at home so depleted that you can't be involved in your family, something's wrong. Get, you know, check out a medical doctor, get a different job. I don't know what it is, but I believe the Lord wants you to give your best at work and also to your best to your family. While I'm on the topic, let me just say that also involves your marriage. It's not just, I'm a good employee, I'm a good dad. What good is it if I'm a horrible husband? No good. There you go. That's the amen from my wife on the front row. Now she wants to be verbal in the church. Anyway, but... 
come on. It's not enough to be a great pastor. It's not enough to be a great dad. It's not enough. For, you got to be, give your best, okay? Give your best. And some of that is understanding your energy, spouses, get some plans so that you can get through that. Because what we understand is there are times, there are moments where our routine or our rhythm is like, this is a real busy week. This is a real busy month. And then we're going to have a few weeks where it's just, if we want to go to the Jordan candy store, I'm going to dip out at two o'clock and let's go before everybody else gets there. <laughs> That's one of the things that we realize. But it's like, okay, we understand, okay, this night I got board meeting and that night I'm helping somebody else. And we just need to know it's a joy that we get to do this. So we have family meetings about our schedule. And so that we understand the rhythm and routine of the week so that everybody can get my best. So you need to make plans for those things so that you can manage your energy. Why? Because if you manage your energy, it'll help you control your emotions. Okay? Here's what I've noticed, that when my energy's low and my stress is high, my emotional buffer is diminished and outbursts just seem to happen. And the same is true in your life, I suspect. It's one of my spiritual gifts, suspicion. It's not actually. If you're new to the church, it's not a spiritual gift, but I do operate heavily in it, okay? So when, when, when energy is low and stress is high, have you noticed that that could be why we've had more infighting in our nation in the last three years? Because stress is high and our energy is low. It threw us off routines. We didn't have physical outlet and we didn't have normal interaction. And so when we see those things, so what's the, what's the key? Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 gives us this because it's not just about, you know, sleep and eating those kind of things, but I'm going to give you those in a moment. But he said it this way, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. This is the advantage that we have. We can put these natural things with supernatural things. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Those are the things that we believe. And if we're going to see a sustained, repeated move of God, we're going to need to prepare our physical bodies for the work that's ahead. Let me give you five things. Um, you can evaluate them for your own life, but I think that help with physical recuperation. Number one, take a nap. That's in the Bible. It says, Elijah went to sleep. So take a nap, get some sleep. Figure out what the right amount of sleep is. Most people could do with one less TV show at night and one extra hour of sleep. Number two, get something to eat. This is my kind of sermon right here. Praise the Lord. Take a nap, get a bite to eat, you know. But that's what we read that Elijah did. The Lord made him pizza. Ba bread baked on coals. That was fire brick oven pizza right there. Praise the Lord. Uh, here's the third one that I put down. I put down exercise. Now, let me just mention for you, if your like, job is physically exerting, then maybe you need a time of, of resting. But so it's kind of opposite. Our bodies benefit from doing something different when we're recovering. And so uh, for me, though, mostly a, a sitting around uh, style job, for me, it's exercise or play golf or whatever that is. So the fourth thing, uh, this is less in, in the Bible too, but I think it's important. Write things down and evaluate for proper perspective. So Elijah was like, I'm the only one. Nobody loves God anymore. I think if he would have wrote that prayer down and then went back and read it, he'd be like, I think something's wrong. He didn't kill 850 prophets all by himself. He had some help. But what happens, remember like that Snickers bar, we're not ourselves and we're hungry. What happens is we get 
in this funk and we're like, nobody else even loves God. There's no other Christian. <laughs> like, I'm the only parent that cares about their kid's homework. We're all doing the kid's science project. Like, just get over it, you know? Like, so, so write it down so that you can go back and re- get a right perspective because so often the devil lives in these whispers of our mind and, and we might think things and we act on them as though they were true, but if we wrote them down, we'd be like, that's crazy. And another thing that we could do is if we write it down, number five, get some friends to be you with. Because friends that really know you will help you. They'll be like, look at what you just wrote down. That's crazy. And you're like, oh yeah, it is. (laughs) Let me just say, you don't need to be friends with everybody. Our friend count on social media has made us think you, you cannot be friends with everybody. No matter how many people you know, you're probably only gonna be friends with some. And, and, and so you need to have some friends, though, that don't require you to be on or giving out to. They're, they're life-giving back into you, where you could just enjoy. So those are some practical things that you can do. Number three, and this is um, the second half of my message. <laughs> it is. I'm only on page four, and I do have seven pages. So praise the Lord. Number three, you need holy motivation. This is important. This isn't a pep talk from your pastor. This isn't just taking a nap. If we really want to get back on the things of God, if we really want to see 1 Kings 18 repeated, if we really want to see more miracles happen and and more revival going on, we need holy motivation. Elijah lost it in that moment, right? He became overwhelmed by life. He was like, this is too much. He became isolated. He became depressed. He became lethargic. And all of those things meant he lost track of what God was doing in his life. So how do we cure a spiritual hangover? We need to be re-energized with holy motivation. Pastor Vicente this week in our meeting had shared some of his testimony with alcohol abuse before he got saved. And he said, what do you need when you got a hangover? A lot of our super saved staff said, water. And he was like, nope, more alcohol. I was like, okay. Thank you, Pastor Vicente, for sharing. Let's move right along, okay? (laughs) What do you need when you have a spiritual hangover? I think you need more spiritual things. Like the answer's not just just keep sleeping. That that might be part of it. The the answer's not just keep eating. (laughs) That that would be a problem, right? The answer's not just have some friends that you could play board games with. If you want to be used by God, the the cure for this spiritual hangover is holy motivation, recognizing the need that we have to get back involved with the things of God. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 85, verses 6 to 9. He said, will you not revive us again? Think about that, friends. Like, sometimes we've, I've been in these conversations where we think, oh, well, if I'm revived, I can never need it again. The psalmist said, revive us again. There's a cycle that we go through. There's ups and downs in life. Your entire marriage is not a honeymoon. Your entire spiritual experience is not a summer camp. Your entire uh, Christian church participation. Hear what I'm saying. We need, there's ups and downs, highs and lows. We need to be revived again. That's what the psalmist was asking. Will you not revive us again? Why? So that your people may rejoice in you. 
I've been so amazed at some Christians who are not rejoicing about what God is seemingly doing across our land. They're critiquing, they're judging, they're saying it's not enough of this and not enough of that. My personal opinion, not that you asked for it, but I'm going to give it to you, is that if you're not rejoicing in what God is doing right now, you might need to be revived again. Moving right along. Verse number seven. (laughs) Show us your unfailing love, Lord. This is important for us. And grant us your salvation. What does revival entail? It always involves salvation. And how, what, how do we know or what needs to take place for salvation to occur? Repentance. Salvation doesn't come when it's an oops or an axis. Salvation is the promised, fulfilled work of Jesus Christ when we repent of our sin. Then he saves us by his grace. Grant us your salvation. He says, I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people. I think that's another hallmark or description about revival is that there's peace in the people of God. Even though the actions may differ, even though the characteristics of the gathering, we can always hear when there's great peace in the people of God. Well, how can we not recognize our need for revival in our land when it seems like we've lacked peace for years here in America? (laughs) He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That's where we see the need for repentance. You don't get saved just because, right? You get those who fear him, those who put their trust in him. And I love this. It says that his glory may dwell in our land. Isn't that what we've been praying for? That his glory would dwell in our land. Many of you have probably heard and read about what's been taking place uh, at Asbury University in Kentucky. I've had friends go and visit in person. And uh, I want to read a couple of firsthand accounts from people, what they're experiencing in the presence of the Lord. As I mentioned, also, I've read some critique on social media from people questioning the authenticity of it all. Um, Side note, let's not be those people. Okay, I understand it's maybe not as much in the charismatic camp, but let's lean in with anticipation instead of sitting back with skepticism. <laughs> um, just because it doesn't look the way we want it to or whatever, it doesn't really matter because it's not ours, right? It's what the Lord is doing, and there's an undeniable reality that he is doing something. Um, the Leonards, Mark and Brenda, they have a niece that attends there. I want to read some of her words, and then I want to read from a professor who... Uh, uh, is there at Asbury and a great friend of my New Testament professor from college and did his doctoral work at uh, Simmons of God Theological Seminary, Dr. Craig Keener. So I'm going to intersperse their comments about what God is doing so that maybe you haven't heard and, uh, you know, you can read about it online. But this is what Emily said. She gave her account as a student there at Asbury. She said on Wednesday, February 8th, Asbury University students gathered at 10 a.m. in Hughes Auditorium for their regularly scheduled chapel service. Isn't it interesting how often God will interrupt our regularly scheduled and planned activities if we're open to it? (laughs) 
That's where that word of openness comes in. She says, after students were dismissed, about 30 or so stayed behind to continue worshiping and praying together. And after 11 plus days, worship has still not stopped. Over the last 11 days, uh, we've seen a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit over our campus and community. Dozens have dedicated their lives to Christ, confessed sins, named spiritual strongholds in their lives, and received healing. People from all over the world are being drawn to Wilmore, Kentucky to see this little glimpse of heaven on earth as thousands of voices in the chapel and tens of thousands more outside lift up praise to God. Dr. Craig Keener, professor, released this word uh, as some people within other denominational uh, settings were maybe questioning the reality or the truthfulness of revival or whatever you want to call it. He said, different events labeled revivals. Previously, they might have used the word awakenings in history. Um, but different events labeled revivals in the past few centuries have often looked different from dramatic weeping or dramatic joy, from massive conversions to empowerment for missions, leading to even more conversions around the world. Calvinists dominated the First Great Awakening, the West Timor Revival. Wesleyans dominated the Second Great Awakening, Azusa Street Revival, 1950-1970 Asbury Revivals. Witnesses from West Timor re uh, reported a sound like a rushing wind. Witnesses um, from an orphanage in India reported tongues of fire. Miraculous signs accompanied evangelism uh, in a China Revival. The question, why should an infinite God ever fit into our finite boxes? What we find in the book of Acts are repeated outpourings of the Spirit of God. In Acts 2, Peter described the experience of the Spirit as a prophetic empowerment to speak for God. Our collective, other collective experiences throughout Acts chapter 10, 13, 19 serve not to satisfy our historical curiosity, but to whet our appetite for what he'll do again. One characteristic that Luke reports in connection with the first two outpourings of the Spirit is concern for the needy. This observation suggests that these outpourings involve not simply an initial emotional experience, but a deep, long-range impact in how Jesus' followers treated one another related to what Paul would call the fruit of the Spirit. During the First Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards noted visions and manifestations such as falling to the ground and weeping. He noted that while some manifestations were human responses to the work of God's Spirit, some were imitations or worse. In other words, some people will always try to mimic or manipulate or control or any of those kind of things, the things of God. The long-term fruit of revival, he pointed out, is not about how we feel, but about how we live. Yeah. And what's happening at Asbury began spontaneously and unexpectedly, but spontaneity does not mean lack of Preparation. Anna Golick, a French professor at the university during the 1970 revival, reported that many students had begun praying among themselves before cries of repentance broke out in chapel. Similarly, people within the Asbury community had been praying for decades that God would get their campus ready. Here's his summary about revival. Connection with prayer is a common characteristic of both corporate and individual experiences of the Spirit in the book of Acts and in today. Connection with prayer. The team can come out. I'm almost done.
Back to Emily's description. She said the revival started with just 30 students refusing to leave chapel. Sometimes we think we need everybody to see God move in a mighty way. Now, it'd be nice if everybody was in on it right away, but the truth is it just needs a few people who are willing to be connected in prayer, to ask God to do what only he can do. Remember, us plus God is not a majority. We don't need a majority. Us plus God is more than enough. He is the God of more than enough. Just 30 students, many students since have fallen at the altar, confessing suicide attempts, depression, anxiety, and self-harm, and they've claimed freedom in the name of Jesus. She said, personally, every time she walks into the chapel, she bursts into tears, seeing how God is healing people and just to feel his presence. On day six, God led her to the altar where she spent an hour weeping and crying out in his name for personal, physical healing. She said, please be praying for us. Everyone is very excited, but overwhelmed. They now have a lot of police on campus monitoring everything. And I know it's hard for us to believe here this morning, but there are bad actors in the world. She said some people had to be removed from campus because of their actions. They had a few strangers breaking into their dorm rooms or following students around. But she said, I still feel safe because God is in control, but we can't deny that we're all feeling more anxiety and even some fear as we see large numbers of people on our campus. So please keep our safety in your prayers. Revival is more than how we feel, but it's how we live. We we see this described in Psalms. We see this throughout history. And I believe we'll see it in our day as well. You know, as long as we remain open to what God will do, I believe he shows up where he's wanted. You know, since these reports about what God is doing at Asbury, and as I said, I've had friends that were able to go there, and I wished I could have. Um, It's not just limited there, though. We've begun to see, you know, and hear reports about different things, different universities, and I've talked to pastors over the last month, even specifically the last two weeks, and I've heard more reports of the Holy Spirit breaking out in their services like they've, they've never experienced at their church. Talking with my dad about things the Lord is doing in North Carolina, they're, they're driving around the state meeting with their ministers for some more regular meetings, and he's like, you could just tell something was different when we walked in the place. I think God will show up wherever he's wanted. Yes. So my hope, my prayer, my word for you today is to just be open. No matter how it looks or feels, a lot of the critiques that I've been reading, is like, well, it doesn't have enough of this or enough of that. I just want to be open. it's in a Sunday morning, if it's at my home, I just want to be open. But I think the Lord shows up where he's wanted. Last night, we 
gathered our kids together and at seven and we just said, we're just gonna turn off the electronics and we're just gonna pray. That's not like every day. We, you know, there are some people, I'm not gonna be a pastor that stands up here and is like, we don't let our kids use an iPad. We love them. See you in an hour. That's how we feel about it, you know? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> there are times where that's, but we just said, we just wanna pray for what God will do. We just, we just wanna pray generations together to say, God, we're open. Not, not to force it to be like some other place, not to say it's got to be this or that, but, but I think God shows up wherever he's wanted, wherever people are hungry. I know for sure that the best tasting meals that I've ever enjoyed in my life are the ones that I was really hungry for. So I'm saying in my own life, we were praying in, in our own lives, in our home, God, we just want to be hungry. We just want to be open. I don't want to have a been there, done that spirit. I don't want to have a, well, we'll see in a little bit. I just want to be open because I think God shows up where he's wanted. Leviticus chapter nine, I was reading through Leviticus this week in my devotions. I was reminded last year in January, I was preaching just from the book of Leviticus holy smoke. Leviticus chapter nine says, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. You know, I've prayed for a long time for the glory of the Lord to appear to all the people. It says fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, the fat portions on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted for joy and they fell face down because wherever the glory of the Lord is, there's awe and reverence. And you know, friends, that's what we've been praying for. We're seeing what we've been praying for over the last year. We're seeing what people have been praying for for a decade or more. We're seeing what people have been praying for for a century since Azusa Street. So we just need to be open. We just need to be open. As I mentioned in 1909, William Seymour prophesied along with Maria Woodworth Eder, a mighty healing revivalist in those days that in a hundred years, a revival far greater in power and influence than Azusa Street would be sent from heaven again. I don't know if you remember 2009, but I don't think it was revival. Whatever you owned was worth less. <laughs> Not my best year. But I'm praying that this would be our best year. Not a, not a housing valuation or a stock market deal, but I'm just praying that we would see the glory of the Lord. And I believe we will as long as we're open. Close on the bottom of your notes. It said that revival demands... Rest and recovery. But what's the purpose of recovery? To go participate again, right? To go be active again in the things of God, to get up out of our seat, to get off our couch, to go, yeah, we, we need a nap, we gotta eat, but, but we don't just stay there. We get up and we go again. We participate in what God would do. And so I just wanna pray 
that we would not be people who simply spectate or speculate. I don't want to be somebody that sees that God did something else. I'm like, well, I'm not sure if it's real. I want to be somebody that my heart leaps with openness that says, I'm so excited to hear what God is doing. But I, I don't want it to just be in Kentucky. I don't just want it to be in California or I want it to be in me. Like the psalmist said, would you revive us again? I've been praying that this week and I'm not like in a spiritually low place or even a physically tired one. I feel pretty good for the Lord, what he's been doing, but I'm just praying, God, would you revive us again? Would you breathe more of your breath, more of your life, more of your spirit into us so that it continues to overflow in every area of our life? So I know last week, Pastor Vicente talked about those rooms that we need to renovate where evil spirits might have been lurking, but I just want to ask everybody today on an individual basis, you don't have to raise your hand or come forward, but, but are you open to the moving of the spirit in every area of your life? And if not, why not make a decision? Just right now, you can leave open to whatever it is that he has. You can make a change today. Just say, God, I, I'm open in my family, in our home, I just remind you, it's never too late to become the person you've always wanted to be. Maybe maybe you've never prayed together as a family. If you pray today, it'd be every day this week. Why not? Are you open? Are you open? I believe openness is a word that, that I felt like I got at the end of the first service, and I want to pray for us. Coming out of a season for the last three years where things were closed, right? Businesses were closed. Schools were closed. They were online, but let's be real. They were closed. Just call it what it is. They were closed. Even church groups, we had to close for a little bit. Like so much has been closed. I I think relationally, many of us have been closed. Maybe some of us have been through so much pain and so much hurt we've become closed as a defense mechanism to not get hurt again. And I just want to pray that we'd be open to whatever God would do in our lives. However it's going to look, however it's going to feel, I just want us to be open because I'm just convinced, church, God shows up where he's wanted, where he's given room, the space to occupy. You know, in our schedules, we tend to fill whatever the space we give stuff. I've been studying this a lot. If you give a project six months, it's going to take you six months to do it. If you give it six weeks, you're probably still going to get it done in six weeks. So I've been trying to just give myself deadlines. Well, I got to decide in 10 minutes. Here we go. Not, not carelessly, but I'm just saying. We tend to fill whatever space we have. So why not give the Lord a little bit more space in our lives? Well, why not give him the space to move? Watch one less show a day or Go to, I'm just saying, why not be open in every area of our lives? If you're able, would you stand on your feet this morning? I want to pray for this spirit of openness. I believe it's a two-found call or two-fold call. One, I'm going to pray that each and every believer uh, will be open to the working of the spirit in their lives. This is in our homes, in our business, in our families, where 
in our church. Like, let's just be open. And the second, I'm going to pray for open doors for the gospel. I really believe we're in a season, this next season in our nation, I'm believing is an open season. People, I think, are, are, are more open right now than they have been previously for the things of God, for seeds of the gospel. And, and I just want to pray for that openness. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't even know why I came today. You would be part of that category, that camp. That, that, that we were praying for you, that you'd be open to the gospel. The gospel is simply the good news that Jesus came to save you from yourself, save you from your sin. That you don't have to stay dead in your sins, but you can be made right with God. You can be forgiven and set free. We're gonna pray for those two forms of openness. So Father, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters here today, those in the room, those watching online, I'm praying for an openness like never before. Start in me, oh God, in each and every person, an openness to things that we think we know or we've already experienced, but God, just an openness to be used by you in a prayer meeting, in personal devotions, times with family, our community group, and church services at work, just an openness. We set aside our preconceived ideas and plans and We just say we're open for you to move however it is that you want to move. Do in us what you want to do. We say we're open to being filled by you. We're open. We're opening up doors in areas of our lives that we've held closed from you for too long. We say we're open in every area. God, to fill us up, to to move in our lives, to do what only you can do. And God, we also pray for a heart of openness for the gospel in our nation openness for the, for the seeds of the kingdom to take root in people's lives. People who had shut you off for so long, maybe who'd closed things off for too long. God, I'm just praying for an openness. Let there be great harvest in the days ahead. For anybody who is far off, even here this morning, I pray that they'd open their heart and their life to you. Your word says that if anyone accepts you, the old will be gone and the new will come. They'll be made a new creation. They'll no longer be dead in their sin, but they'll now be alive in you, Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray for an openness for the gospel like never before. As we've seen great salvation revivals take place in our land, as we've heard testimonies from different decades So we see even this week, Jesus Revolution, the movie be released. We're just praying for many, many people, countless people to be saved by your goodness and by your grace and openness for the gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name for your church to grow like never before. May people be added to your family daily, we pray. And we believe it's possible as we give everything to you. Have your way in this place and in our lives. We anticipate, we expect you to show up everywhere you're wanted. And we say, oh God, you're wanted in our lives. We say you're wanted in this place. You're wanted in our churches. You're wanted in this city. There is a remnant of believers living here that say you're welcome here in this place. No matter what a majority has voted, no matter what leadership has said, you're welcome in this place, oh God. Come and change our cities from the inside out. 
Do what only you can do. Let a great revival. If you did it in California, you could do it right here in, in Minnesota. So we say we're open to have you do what only you can do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I just, I want to pray. I know our time is gone, but I just want to pray. No one looking around. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to identify yourself. But specifically for those that are here today, there was wrong and justice done to you. You were harmed. You didn't deserve it. You didn't ask for it. It wasn't right. And understandably so, you've, since that moment, built up walls and built up protections, doing your best to prevent that from ever happening to you again. No earthly recognition. My eyes are closed. There's no response needed, but I want to pray for you today for an openness to the Holy Spirit. Maybe in this moment you can't find yourself to come to a place where you feel like you could trust another leader or authority figure or person around, but I'm asking that you'd open your heart to the Holy Spirit today. The Bible says that you'll have a friend that'll stick closer than a brother, that you can be healed from the inside out. And I'm praying for you, whether you're here in the building or watching online, you've been hurt, you've been wounded. And since that moment, you've built up walls, you've closed yourself in. You said, I'm never gonna get hurt like that again. I'm never gonna let someone take advantage of me like that again. I'm never gonna let that happen again. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you'd minister hope and healing to each and every person like that today. I pray that your oil of gladness would wash over them today. That like Joseph declared what the enemy meant for evil, what meant to harm me, Lord, you can use it for good. It doesn't make that act good. But you could bring healing to them even now. So God, I'm asking that you would pour in your healing upon them today. From the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, I ask for restoration to take place in their heart, in their spirits, in their minds, in their bodies. That you'd restore things that the enemy stole. Let them know that you are still trustworthy. Even when that leader, that adult, that other person, that human was not, that you remain trustworthy and faithful in their life. So God, I pray for a great healing work in these people. Maybe even those outside our faith family, those in our communities. I just ask for a great, inner healing work to take place, Holy Spirit. And Lord, I ask for a great sensitivity upon your people. Those of us that have not been hurt and wounded in that way, would you help give us the grace to minister your help and healing to those in a time if they come and ask? May you help us be listening ears and open arms. 
be your hands extended to them. And we ask it today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the 10th time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.